welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore. I'm so glad you're joining us on this uh, other Friday afternoon. It is less nice this week than it normally is on Fridays when we record. It's not bad. It's a little, a little sweaty, a little thick out there. And I did some gardening during lunch today, and while it was nice, it was a little sweaty. Uh, I'm joined by my two lovely co-hosts, uh, Bailey Perkins. Hello. Hello, Andy. And Dr. Scott Melson. Hello, sir. What's up? Are you all fully vaccinated now? Both of you? All right. Absolutely. I, Based on the data, and we can talk about this briefly, uh, it looks like Oklahoma may be reaching a bit of a plateau. Um, if you listeners, if you're like me, you've certainly seen copious numbers of vaccine opportunities, including the one at Lee's Sandwiches the other day. How rad was that? You can get a bond me and a vaccine. That is my kind. That's the future I want to live in. That was that's very a, exciting. That's a, that's a damn good day is what that is. Good day. And a little bubble tea. Yeah, it was good stuff. So anyway, I feel like almost everybody that I know in Oklahoma has gotten at least one shot. Um, and based on the number of vacancies, some of these vaccine things, it very well may be that all or, or nearly all of the Oklahomans who want a vaccine have been able to get at least one shot so far which leaves all the folks who are vaccine hesitant in air quotes, right? Or just unwilling. And that does not bode well for the future <laughs> of uh, us fighting this disease. I mean, and Catherine you, Sweeney has a really good piece on state impact that talks about how we're at a point where many of the, the large pods you know, are hitting that decline and people registering and in, in what it's going to look like for the state to now get to either hard to reach areas or people who may have challenges getting to vaccines or the people who may be either worried and fearful or just maybe just flat out anti-vaccine and so that she has an interesting piece on, on state impact related to that but i just pulled I mean, it up is, I'll, I'll put it in the show notes here so so that listeners can find it easily this is not obviously a, a random sample um but i'll tell you i i think this week i i asked very nearly every single one of my patients certainly in the last the last half the week and most of them before that um i asked every single, have you had a covid vaccine yet and uh, and I say every single one of my patients, every single one of my patients who was over 16 and vaccine eligible, um, I did not ask the four-year-olds if they had their shot yet. They'll cry. Um, but uh, I, uh, I, I asked uh, all, my, all my over 16s, um, have you had a shot yet? And I uniformly received one of two answers. Majority of people said yes. The people who didn't say yes without exception said no and i don't want one um so you know uh now this is you know like i said it's not a not a random sample um but that's that's really concerning and i think of everybody um, of everyone who told me that and that's probably probably 20 or so people um that i that i said can i can i try to talk you into it some of them said I mean, if you have to, but no. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to. <laughs> um, and then some of them said, sure. I think I changed. I think I changed four minds, um, maybe. Um, 
And then I had one person who really wants to get the shot. I think she did it, but after talking to me, she said she felt a lot better about it and said that she felt like it was the right thing to do, but she's not sure that she will because none of the rest of her family will get the shot. And they have told her that if she was to get the shot, um, she can't be around them anymore. Not, not that she can't be around them if she's unvaccinated. She can only be around them if she's unvaccinated. If she gets the shot, she can't be around them anymore. How would they know? Um, I mean, I, you know, I guess you'd have to lie to your family, which is probably easier for some people than others. Um, I mean, um, if you just uh, got it and then didn't say anything. I mean, yeah, you know, it's, um, man, it's just so, and that's that's scary, you know, to think that like we're at something like, I think it's close to what, what was it, like 1.3 million people have gotten their first shot. So assuming that they all follow through, we'll have 1.3 million people who are fully, fully vaccinated in Oklahoma. That's, I mean, that's 30% of the population. Um, Half of the adults. You know, that's not, that's not good, man. That's bad. That is not a recipe for getting out of the pandemic. And Oklahoma is doing well compared to other states. And so it's going to be more difficult. You know, one would hope that as they, it becomes more normal and, and, you know, hopefully we don't have a spike, uh, another, another wave, but if it does, it might spook some other people into getting it. I don't know. Well, and this is what I'm trying to tell people because I have a lot of people saying, well, I want to wait and see how it goes. And what I'm saying is that the thing that's, and this is hard. I mean, it seems like I, not to, not to be too, um, I don't know what the right word is. Not to be too something <laughs> insert the appropriate adjective. When this is when this is kind of what you do, and when you have a background in you know biology and science, this seems like it would be really clear. But people have a hard time understanding. If we have a bunch of people wait to see how it goes before they get the shot, it's not going to go well, right? <laughs> the only way it goes well is if we don't have half the population saying, "Oh, I want to wait a year." You know, I had one patient tell me today, she's like, well, I just, you know, I'm worried this is going to turn into a deal where, you know, like the flu shot, they want us to get a flu shot every year. And I never get flu shots for me or my kids. And I'm worried they're going to want us to get a COVID shot every year. And I'm like, yeah, I'm worried about the two. If you don't want that to be your future, then get this one, right? Right. More people who get this one, the, the higher the likelihood we don't have to do this over and over and over again. Right. Uh, the reason that we don't have smallpox is because we inoculated everybody right and it got smaller and smaller and uh, until it was eradicated and that's how you eradicate diseases is by vaccinating the food of everybody i i will also say that um the folks whose minds i have changed i have had a couple of i've had a couple of people who really just didn't understand how it works and they said well can you explain how it works and i did and they were like well can you explain how you know it's safe and i said I, and i did and they're like all right well i trust you so all right, I guess I can do it. But for most people, for most people, the argument that's going to change them is not the argument about um, how it works or the safety data or anything else. And quite honestly, unless you are someone who reads that kind of stuff for a living, it's probably not a good idea to try and delve into that and explain that to somebody anyway. The argument that I have found most persuasive, I mean, this is the last thing I say to all of my patients, is here's the thing. I love you and I care about you and I want the same protection for you and your family that I made sure I have and that I made sure my family has. 
I made sure that my family is as safe from this as we can be. And I want to make sure that you and your family are as safe as you can be from this too. And that is the thing that seems to, 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 um, help, help the most. So if you're out there, if you're out there trying to like, how do I convince these people in my life? I would say, don't try to, don't try to, don't try to take a, let me convince you of the facts approach. I would say appeal to your relationship with them and your common humanity with them and take that approach more than a, your facts are wrong, appeal to their, their, their humanness. Anyway, that's my rant. That's a great point because it takes now trusted sources to have conversations with the people around us who are either fearful or hesitant to get the vaccine. And so I love the trend of people, you know, making Facebook posts about getting it or sharing what their experiences are with it. Um, So more people will see that like, yeah, you might have a little soreness in your arm or yeah, you might have to take a, a Advil for a little headache, but for the most part next month, you're gonna be fine, right? You're, you're not going to um, be in an ICU from catching COVID or you'll be able to go hang out with your friends who've also been vaccinated, right? And so I think with Scott's point of not debating with people about the facts, but really just speaking to where that person comes from to with the, for those that you have trust with and they trust you uh, to continue having those conversations because that's the only way to convince people to get over the finish line. I mean, we're going to have all kind of PSAs and, you know, public officials can say whatever they want, but it's the, the people who are going to be able to get more people vaccinated um, will be us. We have to talk with the ones we love and the ones that trust us. So, and Scott, even just, I love the framing of like, it's interesting that people trust you as a doctor on all other areas of advisement, but this one area just seems so hesitant. So I even love your framing of, I took it and I'm, I want you to have the same protections that I have my family being protected with. Right. So. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, this, I, I, this last week has been because of Easter, I think, uh, has been really hard emotionally for me um, because of the loss of my mom to COVID, right? Back in December. My mom was huge on holidays and she sent, uh, sent me an Easter card every year, like my entire life, and Valentine's Day and, you know, anything else, Arbor Day. And um, between my birthday a few weeks ago and then Easter, it was like, it's just been on my mind a lot. Um, and and uh, listeners, I'll be honest, like when I say my mom has been on my mind, I mean, specifically the text messages that she sent me the day that she went to the ICU um, and we thought she was going to die. And she did a few weeks later, but, you know, like, and the scene of being in the ICU saying goodbye to her and what my dad's face looked like and what my sister said and what I said and what that felt like and looking at a full ICU of level of COVID, like these, those images like were um, coming back in. And I told my wife, I was like, it's just. I don't know what the deal is, but I'm having a hard time. And then yesterday, my brother-in-law came down from Chicago and we don't get to see him that often anyway, but he came in and we realized as we'd like gathered in my mother-in-law's living room that we could hug, right? Like the last time I saw him was Christmas and we did everything outside with masks and tried to stay away. 
out of, you know, caution and it was cold and uncomfortable and it was good to see people, but it was not the same as like getting to hug somebody yesterday and, you know, getting to see my dad and know that he's protected now, right? He had COVID, he got the shot, he's good, we're all good. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's a weird deal. And so I guess listeners, if you'd like uh, some more in-depth consulting on how to talk to your vaccine hesitant friends, please send us an email at podcast at fixthis.org. <laughs> we, will, we will help in any way that we can. Well, and this made me think of, so as we pivot to other politics news, I will say, I, I, listeners, in case I haven't already told you, we have a new website um, for our podcast. Well, it's the same website. We have a new URL. You can just go to letspodthis.com. Letspodthis.com. Go straight to our website. There's all the episodes. You can subscribe. So if you want to share an episode with your friends, or your family, and let them hear from us why they should get get the vaccine, just go to letspodthis.com. Okay. Well, and if anything, if people want to stop hearing about COVID on the podcast, then that means more people need to get their vaccine so we can get through the pandemic and then start um, in the recovery process so we could talk about other things. So that gets us closer to not talking about COVID on the podcast. I'll be honest, you know, I feel like a lot of times this this kind of season of the show, I have not had as much to say about the legislative goings on because I'm like knee deep in thinking about COVID and work-related things all the time. I would love to not have to devote any of my limited bandwidth to COVID and spend all of my free time uh, scouring Twitter and Facebook for the latest craziness at 23rd and Lincoln so I can have a whiskey on Friday afternoon and rant about it. Um, <laughs> but the, the, the way that we get there is by um, all of us, you know, the, the other thing I've told people um, that seems that seems I, I feel like has maybe moved people a, a little bit, even if it hasn't got them all the way there. You know, we all have the fortune of being alive at the same time, which means that whether or not we want to be in it together, we are in it together. Um, you know, like this is not a deal where you can just you, you can't, can't choose, choose. You can't choose to opt out. Right. You can choose whether to wear a mask or not. You can choose whether to get the vaccine or not, but you can't choose whether this uh, affects your life or not. Um, you know, I had a patient tell me this week, he was like, yeah, I don't want the vaccine. So I'm, I'm not a big COVID guy. I was like, what the hell does that mean? You're not a big, uh, who, not a big who, who is a fan of COVID? <laughs> right? I don't, I don't know any big COVID guys. You know, right. <laughs> it's not like it's a, 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 a favorite food, right? Like he interesting was interestingly, he was one of the ones that uh, we went through everything and he was like, wow. Okay. Um, all right. He's like, let me, I'm gonna go home. Talk to the wife, and uh, we'll we'll see if we get it done. I was like, if if I can get you over the line, then we can get anybody. So, so you're telling me there's a chance. Yeah. Right? yeah. So enough of enough of that. On to uh, on to raging, rage against the political machine. <laughs> That's right. All right. Well, hey, we'll uh, we'll play a sound effect as a transition here. All right. Let's get down to the news of the week. Uh, well, let's talk about some election highlights. We had elections on Tuesday. I hope you voted, listeners. I know some of you didn't because uh, turnout Ooh. was very low. It was dismal. <laughs> it was very, very bad. I voted early. Um, I voted uh, absentee again because it is so convenient. Once again, listeners, you can always request your absentee ballots for the whole year. Just sign up once for the whole year. 
on elections.ok.gov. I was voter number 269 and 270 because I had two ballots. So hmm. that means, and that was, I went at like 5.30 on Tuesday. So that means there was probably a little over, you know, Mm-hmm. 120, 150 people maybe at my precinct who voted. So we got to remember to vote, y'all. Got to vote. It, decisions are made by those who show up. Um, so in Oklahoma legislature news, Senate District 22, formerly held by now Congresswoman Stephanie Bice, has a newly elected state senator, Jake Merrick. Is that correct? Jake Merrick? Um, he was the Republican that was running there against Molly Uten. Um, and as I somewhat expected, and uh, the Republican prevailed, um, Mr. Senator Merrick has not, I don't know when the swearing in will happen, probably here in a few weeks. I, I guess they'll probably get him sworn in in time for him to have some action on the floor this year, don't you think? It depends. Yeah. I, I believe that the governor decides when that will happen, correct? So. Um, yeah. I don't does, know. The, does the governor decide the swearing in or does treat decide when he gets sworn in? Oh, that's a good question. That's I think, good question. I think, I think it's not like they need decides. his vote to get anything passed. Right. Like, but, uh, if you live in the Northwestern part of Oklahoma city or West Edmond, Deer Creek, Piedmont area, you have a new state Senator, whether you voted or not, and you should uh, reach out to him. Well, and on the, on the, what we were talking about, I was thinking about, during the time when it was the budget crisis back in 2017 and now senator zach taylor was moving to the house they quickly swore him in to be able to have him vote in legislation (laughs) is that doing all the step up business i believe so i believe so because they needed the votes to get to a three-quarters majority to raise Mm -hmm. revenue yep you know what a hoopla but there's not anything right now that's politically pressing for um, a swearing in to happen on monday morning right (laughs) so it'll be interesting to see like whenever that's decided but it it should happen at some point before um even budget stuff really begins to happen so that's right uh, and we'll talk a little bit about budget stuff here in just a minute. Um, so other elections um, in Edmond uh, had a historic election there. Bailey, do you want to talk about the Edmond mayoral election? Yes. Um, they elected their first black mayor in Edmond. And what's special about that is Edmond was once a sundown town meaning that black folks couldn't come into the area um, in the times of Jim Crow, you know, before the the sun went down. Otherwise, that could mean they could be harmed uh, by people in the community or even by law enforcement in the areas. And so um, it's really um, special for for that election to have happened. I guess I didn't realize that Edmond was a sundown town. Mm-hmm. And the mayor's name is uh, Mayor Daryl Davis. He was, and he's been a city council member, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. There's a there's a reason that MLK changes to Eastern. Oh, when it gets to Edmond. Yeah, when it gets to Edmond, it becomes Eastern, and that was a change. I forget the, what the year was, but that was a change made by the Edmond City Council to not have 
Martin Luther King Boulevard uh, extended to Edmond and call it something else. So, okay, well, that's interesting. So they changed it from MLK to Eastern? Yeah. Which means it was named MLK after the 60s, right? And then they changed it to Eastern since then. Yeah. That's a... Which perhaps bespeaks the more recent history of racism in the area, right? Like if they, if they changed it to MLK at some point and then decided to change it away, that's a, a bigger deal. I say that it may be, it may be that it was Eastern and Edmund rejected to allow it to be called MLA MLK within their borders. That may, that may be, that would make a little that, more sense. That but, may be what happened, but it was a, know. it was a, it was a proactive change. It wasn't. It wasn't that like, oh, we're only going to call it MLK between these blocks and these blocks. It was we're going to make the name of the street MLK. And Edmund said, no, not in Edmund. You're not. That would make sense. Like when OKC changed it, then Edmund said no. And I don't know what year that was, but certainly since 1968. Well, and you mentioned Andy that decisions are made by those who show up. Right. One election I want to lift. Um, a friend of mine, Chasey, on. Facebook was talking about an election in the village in a city council race um, where Winter Griffiths won her city council race by six votes. So if seven people decided to stay home in the village, she would not have won her race. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just something to remember that um, all races are important to participate in. Because city council, school boards, um, all kinds of local governments make important decisions that impact our day-to-day life. And so it's it's really interesting to, to see that her race in particular was won by, by six votes. I remember several years ago that the city council race in War Acres that was won 12 to 8. And I was like... Uh, so not even, I mean, so not even 21 people collectively voted in this particular race. And Warriors is not a large city, but come on, man. Like you couldn't get 13 people to vote for you. Like it was, it shows how important it is. And right next door to Warriors and Bethany, they're having all kinds of problems with city government right now, like audits and all kinds of stuff going on. And so um, if if you want to really get hurt by something local government, if it's not working for you, it, you're going to feel it at <laughs> with your water, with your garbage, like with your streets, it's really going to be a big deal. So don't forget to vote every time you can. All right. Um, also in, like, this is still local government. Uh, Oklahoma city public schools had well, several races, one for the board chair, right. And Paula Lewis retained her seat as board chair. Um, but also, Am I correct in saying that all of the OKCPS seats that were up for election were won by women? Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yes. You know, I, uh, a friend of mine, well, it might have been Congresswoman Kendra Horn, that I remember her saying that when women run, they win, right? The problem is getting women to run in the first place most often because they are hesitant. They feel like they've got to be super qualified or they feel like they're not qualified in many cases, whereas men just wake up and think, eh, I'll run for office today. And so um, this was a, a huge thing. And I think people might say, oh yeah, well, schools and you know, teachers are women and like make gender specific uh, assumptions about that. But that has not been the case with school boards. They've been Absolutely. male. And so this is a big deal. Uh, and so it's and exciting. So incumbent um, chair 
Paula Lewis retained her seat by 52% of the vote. So it was a pretty close race. Um, Carol Thompson is now District 1 representative. And Lori Bowman will be serving as District 2's representative to the Oklahoma City Public Schools School Board. And so Oklahoma City Public Schools is the largest school district in the state. And so that's one reason why that, that race is, is pretty significant. Well, and before we started recording today, we were talking about their Pathways to Greatness plan or whatever it was a few years ago. And um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, whenever you have new leadership, um, what changes happen and just what the deliberative process may look like and um, how they reach decisions about things. Um, and then in election related news for the future, uh, Norman Mayer and Ogle Madness winner, Bria Clark, <laughs> um, announced this week that she will be seeking re-election uh, next year, I guess, for the mayor of Norman. And her tweet that I saw said, um, like her announcement thing said, I'm not, I have a big announcement. I'm not running for governor. I'll leave that to Emily Sutton. And which is funny, and I think a lot of people probably expected that she meant Emily Virgin, who is the state rep from Norman. But no, she actually referred to Emily Sutton. Emily Sutton could win a governor's race. Well, but Emily Sutton is the person who was competing with her in the finals yeah. in the Lost Ogles March Madness bracket because they always pick um, local um, news personalities, news personalities or, or political figures to compete against the, or even just random um, staples like um, I think like the Brahms. Uh, Oh, the Brahms milk bottle. Milk and, bottle yeah. was one of the the yeah. um, competitors. So <laughs> yeah. Emily Sutton, I do think is like universally loved. My, my mom might have died with only one regret, and that's that I didn't somehow marry Emily Sutton. She really <laughs> loved her. Um, <laughs> it's funny. All right, um, should we talk about some legislative news? Oh man, uh, because the legislative process was certainly being. Um, challenged and <laughs> finessed and and you learn all the ins and outs of it um as you meet these different points in in the political deadlines so i mean the policy deadlines robert's rules has a few exceptions that were enacted this week um so this is yesterday thursday the 8th was the committee deadline the opposite chamber committee deadline for most bills not all bills right there's still some just not appropriations yeah anything not appropriations so, uh, not appropriated or not somehow labeled as an appropriations bill by leadership. Uh, they, which means that this was a big hurdle, right? So anything else that was like still floating around, this was a good chance for them to get weeded out. And that meant that, Oh, perhaps ideas that were dead and bills that had died or been knocked aside earlier in session were suddenly inserted in a committee substitute just moments before or at the time that the bill was heard, much to the surprise and chagrin of legislators and advocates alike. And listeners may remember that in earlier podcast episodes and just over time, when Andy talks about legislative process, he always talks about how a bill may have one label <laughs> at the beginning of session and then you get a few months in and it could be a completely different bill language on a completely different topic. And this is the point of the year when we see a lot of those bills 
transform into what was once a bill about water quality now turned into a bill about um, education in some way, right? So. Yeah, yeah, there was some uh, some big ones. So there was, well, two of them that I saw a ton of in the news. And now I'm thinking about all the big contentious issues this week. One was that divisive topics bill that is an education related thing, right? That says, and I don't know if this passed or not. Bailey, do you know if it passed out of committee? It passed committee seven to four. And so um, it gutted, um, and I don't remember what bill it gutted, but um, the, the bill language would tell teachers that they could not teach anything that's considered divisive on race and gender. Uh, the biggest concerns of that is that although it spells out what it could mean, it's still fairly broad to where um, teachers all come from different walks of life, right? And one teacher may uh, say that this area talking about slavery or this area talking about um, things that happened with stolen lands and how the country was formed, right? They may consider those divisive topics and say, we're not gonna talk about those things because they're related to race and gender in these kinds of, of ways, right? Or we won't talk about the trail of tears because it's divisive, right? And so um, it just really leads to this rabbit hole of subjectiveness and cherry picking um, and, and, and even um, the government telling educators what they can and can't teach, right? So that even that, that perspective of like government overreach. And so there's a lot of concerns about uh, the implications of the legislation um, and it made its way into a different bill and is now, you know, has the opportunity to be heard on the, because uh, it's a, uh, I think it was thrown into a Senate bill, so it could be uh, moved up to the Senate, but then it would have to go back to back to the House. The House, and it, it has to make some moves since you know the language has changed. But um, nonetheless, it's still eligible to move through the process. It's just bananas. The idea that we wouldn't teach quote divisive topics because, like, just speaks to like just uh, just smile and nod and go along with what we tell you to do. Well, as a society. I asked this question on Twitter this week, and it was a little bit tongue in cheek, but I'm 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 kind of curious. Has there ever been a time when bannings, like when banning a certain subject from being taught, has been on the right side of history? Oh right, no, ever. I mean, because you know, there's well, there's one. So in in Germany, like what you can and can't teach about, like the Holocaust, for instance, is as as I understand it, pretty like tightly regulated, but it's specifically regulated. You can't teach like you're basically you're not allowed to both sides the Holocaust in Germany, right? Right. Like you're exclusively well, you shouldn't be. <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, that's but that's that's what I'm saying though, right? But I'm, right. I'm asking though, like, is there ever a time when when like banning certain things from being taught has been like the way to go? And I think that probably in Germany saying no, you can't you can't both sides of the Holocaust is like the right decision. Um but this I mean this doesn't like this doesn't fall into that, obviously. It's just 
I, I wondered if that was a blanket statement. Is it, is there ever a time when you should, when you can say like, no, you're not allowed to teach X, Y, and Z. I mean, I would think in bizarre, probably like has not actually occurred ethical things. Like you shouldn't be allowed to teach cannibalism or something, right? You can't exchange yeah. recipes for human flesh. That seems right. a, a no brainer, right? But I'm, I'm going to hope that hasn't come up, right? <laughs> um, but I think the, you also got to go with the intent behind this, right? Like, yeah, it's because let's say someone wanted to have a class um, discussing uh, Southern pride and, and the, the quote Southern culture that is often used as a, a, a guise or a, a, a blanket term for white culture in the South. Right. And uh, I wonder if you would say, well, we can't, I'm sorry, you, if they, here's what I'm asking. I, if they would come back on a parent or a teacher and say, oh, you can't teach about Southern pride because it's a contentious topic. I would imagine if the certain people were like, well, no, we're going to talk about, we're going to teach it in this way. As long as it aligned with the authors of this bill and supporters of this bill, then it's okay, right? Something that that I might view as contentious, they would view as okay. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. No, I mean, and, and that's the problem with creating, like, even creating this this um, subjectivity, right? Mm. Yeah. Because there isn't clear litmus tests on what is considered credible to teach about and what isn't, right? I think we should leave that to educate. Because also the author of this bill also made a comment on um, Senate committee saying that like healthcare professionals oh, don't yeah. know, <laughs> you know, don't have all the answers and yeah. it's only the, the voters and the parents know, right? And so it's it's very strange that lawmakers are telling educators what should or shouldn't be taught in school. I mean, cause I mean, let's just get to the heart of it and not dance around it. Um, they don't want to talk about privilege, right? They don't mm -hmm. want to talk about, for example, what happened on January 6th and describing the insurrection, right? <laughs> there are things that um, can be uncomfortable, especially that challenge the norms that people have been conditioned to believe in this country. And if that goes against an ideal that someone is teaching their child, then suddenly it's wrong and it shouldn't happen in schools. And so that's what the bill is trying to suppress. And, and it's, it's dangerous. Yeah. It's dangerous. Man, let's uh, speaking of crazy things that were said this week, uh, in legislature, that's one of them. I, I texted one or both of you about that. Um, when was it Humphreys that said it? That said, who someone up there said that no, was Jet. Was it? Oh, that's right. It was Jet. So, uh, oh, Humphreys, the author of the the sports girls and sports transgender bill. bill. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, which we can talk about in a second. But yeah, so yeah, Senator Jet said that um, healthcare workers don't know what's best. It's the voters, it's the people back home that know what's best. Uh, and this was about a mask mandate related bill that would ban mask mandates. And yeah, so if if the contentiousness is 
science, like we've got bigger issues at work in our society, I think. Uh, speaking of that, of the trans women bill, so another very contentious bill that was another committee substitute that came, got just substituted right back there at the last minute. Um, it changed an education finance bill and inserted language from a bill that had previously died that would ban trans women from participating in sports, both K through 12 and in college. And it passed out of committee. Um despite, you know, tons of outrage. And, you know, these are the kind of bills I think that open us up for the potential for lawsuits, right? And costing yep. the same money. Yep. Especially when you look at historically, who's been allowed to participate in what, right? Um, it ties back to like, you know, Title IX um, and looking at like equal protection, for instance, right? Um, it was a long journey to even get to a point to say that women can play sports and they should have equitable opportunity to play sports, right? <laughs> and now um, this is a rejection of the idea that trans women and girls are women and girls, which is fundamentally wrong. It is suppressive of equal protection and constitutional rights for women and girls, right? Um, and so it goes into a whole lot of, of challenges that we're seeing grow ac across the country, right? Um, I don't see, think we see a mass number of trans women dominating every sport. You know what I'm saying? Like there's not a rampant problem that warrants no and, and this language, right? It's it's no. trans women and trans men should have equitable opportunity to participate in anything that any person is able to participate in in society. Yeah, no. Representative Humphrey said there are, quote, men who are acting as women that are shattering women's athletic records. And he said that without evidence. And when he was interviewed and asked, he gave he said, well, this isn't a debate about transgender issues. This is about women's rights and women being allowed to complete compete equally in sport. And it's like, OK, if that's your argument, if you're saying this is a sports bill and not a human rights bill, then we are not remotely on the same page or the same book. Right. Like this is a to totally different thing. And once again, I think we should care less about sports than we do human rights. Maybe that's just me. And at the root of that is just failing to acknowledge that trans women are women. And that's the big controversy is if women are going to play sports, then trans women must be included. You can't exclude them just because you don't acknowledge them in that way, right? And so um, the legislature, if it chooses to continue advancing that legislation, will put itself in a position to where it's going to have to fight legal battles. And then we're going to have to pay lots of monies in our tax dollars to have to fight something that will likely be overturned in a court setting for the reasons that I that I mentioned, because uh, there are organizations ready. <laughs> because I mean, we're also seeing this, this isn't just um, um, an Oklahoma 
specific hate. This is a hate across the country because we also saw that in, in Arkansas last week. Um, their governor, Asa Hutchinson, um, vetoed a bill that was preventing um, trans women and, and, and trans people um, from participating in, in different, it was, it was related to just creating barriers for, for trans people, right? Preventing, preventing medical providers from providing care to, to trans patients. Um, there we go. Because all of it's rooted in oppression. <laughs> it was called the SAFE Act, yeah. It's, it's rooted in oppression and it's also rooted, it's, all of this is also rooted in, in fear of something that you don't understand, right? And fear that the world is, is changing in ways that you don't understand and can't control. And it's ways that you don't, it's ways that they don't understand, ways that they can't control and ways that they fear will lessen their influence and power, right? Like that's what it all comes, comes down to. And so it's this idea that like, oh, now there's going to be, you know, like now there's going to be, uh, 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 this epidemic of kids that are like choosing to change sexes and like that's not, that's not the case at all, you know. But that's what the that's what the fear is, right? And like the fear is that if you teach, uh, you know, that you teach the truth about racism and oppression, that you're going to have this epidemic of you know white kids that think that they're inferior. Like no one wants to teach white kids that they're inferior. Just want to not teach them that they're superior. That's not the same thing, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, um, I mean, and it's the same kind of fear that, like, well, you know, I mean, fifteen years ago, like, well, if we if we let gay couples get married, then then who then who's to say that, that somebody can't say they want to marry their dog? And as as we all know, there's been an epidemic of dog marriages, um, <laughs> you know, in the last ten years. It's just this, it's this fear. Um, of things that they don't understand and that they want to try and control as though, as though passing these bills changes whether trans people exist or not. Right. As though passing these bills changes whether racism exists or not. Right. Um, it's just sticking your head in the sand and present and, and pretending that these things that make you uncomfortable don't, don't exist. Um, um, mm-hmm. Well, and, and I guess in that same vein, this might be a great time to transition into the abortion bills because the same train of thought relates to that, that somehow banning and creating laws is going to stop abortions when it's just going to stop safe abortions. <laughs> and so, I, uh, I, someone asked how many providers in the state perform abortions and it was way lower than i expected it's only like 10 or 12 in the whole state there's not many they've been pushed out in different ways right Right. oklahoma has has made it difficult for uh providers to and and also just the climate right i mean what was that maybe seven or eight years ago when um the provider in in denver was was murdered yeah. Right. So like it's still dangerous for people to even provide that medically legal service. Right. Mm-hmm. So I could see why there's fewer clinics still operating. Yeah. 
But I mean, the, the root of what we're discussing is there was an abortion bill that uh, advanced to the House floor. And this is an issue that is very politically divisive because people are um, have very set views in how they see the issue. And uh, Representative Olson, um, in his debate on the House floor, compared abortion to the Holocaust. And he said, ending abortion is more important than ending slavery. <laughs> and so his language was also so offensive and racially biased that um, a lot of people have um, called him out on it, including uh, Representative A.J. Pittman had a statement and several other um, lawmakers expressed uh, disappointment for the insensitivity in the uh, comparison. You know, sometimes uh, a lawmaker will make a comment that um, is like uh, offensive and it's, and sometimes it happens unintentionally. And then, you know, someone goes over during a break and talks to him and they apologize later. And that did not happen here. I mean, representative Pittman went and talked to him and he basically doubled down and was like, no, I'm, that's what I meant. Like, I think it's uh, I think abortion's a bigger deal than slavery. And everyone was just like, well, okay then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's been a real banner week at the legislature. Uh, we did have another bill this week that was less terrible. Yeah, but we get to say that on the show. We had a rec representative Marcus McIntyre uh, has a bill, House Bill, I believe it's House Bill ten ninety one. This is another uh, of the infamous infamous committee sub. Uh, this passed out of the Public Health Committee 9 to 1 on Wednesday. Um, so as we've talked about ad nauseum on this show, uh, Governor Stitt has been pushing the Oklahoma Health Care Authority to adopt a managed care model, but specifically wants to adopt managed care by outsourcing uh, outsourcing the, the MCO to third-party companies. So these would be insurance companies that would be, be in charge of implementing managed care in Oklahoma. Uh, Representative McIntyre, has a bill uh, that would do managed care, but basically says we're not going to use we're not going to use third party MCOs, uh, managed care organizations. We're going to basically tell the healthcare authority to implement managed care in house, like to design their own system uh, and do it uh, in house. Um, the governor was not a fan of this. Um, he released a statement that said it is irresponsible to use hundreds of millions of taxpayer dollars to require a state agency to create a program that already exists and is successfully implemented in 40 other states, Oklahomans do not want to follow Joe Biden's playbook and continue to grow a single-payer, government-run healthcare program that has led to Oklahoma ranking 49th in health outcomes. Oklahomans want and deserve better, which is why Sooner Select is the right path forward to improve the health of Oklahomans. I would say two things. One, um, I think Oklahomans do want to do this because that's why they voted um, on a state question. Um, a majority of people voted to amend the state constitution and do exactly that too. Um, Joe Biden has been president for less than 100 days and we've been ranked at the bottom of health outcomes nationwide for many, many years before Joe Biden occupied the White House. So I don't really know what he has to do um, with anything. But what's what's really interesting um, is that the uh, the 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 approach that uh, that Representative McCourtney, excuse me, Representative McIntyre has outlined here, um, is actually based on Governor Stitt's Sooner Care 2.0 uh, 
application um, from last year. Like it's essentially the same plan. And so um, this is a little bit like when um, the folks that did Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act 10, uh, 12 years ago were like, you know what we can do to maybe like attract some support um, is rather than like come up with a totally new thing. Why don't we do what Mitt Romney did in Massachusetts, right? It's a market-based plan that was implemented by a Republican. It's a plan that was developed by a Republican think tank. And we'll, we'll tweak it a little bit. And that's what we'll use as the framework for Obamacare. Um, and it immediately became like government-run socialism. But now Governor Stitt is calling his own program, um, gov- big government, single-payer, Joe Biden-style healthcare, um, because it's not – it's not uh, third-party MCOs that are that are doing it. Um, you know, a year ago when this was all going on, these are some quotes from Nondoc. Says, "quote I think the legislature is much more comfortable with the healthcare authority doing managed care than they are with an out-of-state third company party doing it. The HCA already does some managed care on a few of their populations and seems to do a pretty good job of it. So why would we pay an out-of-state company ten percent to do something we already do internally?" That's from Senator Greg McCourtney. Uh, we also have. Uh, uh, trailer Reigns, who at the time was the deputy state Medicaid director, who said, if you attended any of our hearings, you've probably heard this evolve, that we are not intending to use third-party uh, managed care organizations to manage Sooner Care 2.0, but rather building on the success of our current patient-centered medical home, which is administered by the healthcare authority. Um, so these, there was a lot of support from this, both um, obviously from the governor's office and within the healthcare authority uh, a year ago. And so it's just a little bit striking to see how how much they've they've changed from a plan that they were championing last April. My own personal preference is that they wouldn't do managed care at all. I think sooner care works really well. Um, and if anything, what we need to do is expand the people who can use it, which is what the people of Oklahoma voted to do last summer. Um, that's the, that's the that's the issue with sooner care. It needs to cover more people. Um, I don't. I wish they would. I wish they would leave managed care out of it entirely. But if we're going to do it, I'd rather it be internal than through these third-party MCOs. Um, so we'll see what happens. Um, the The bill will get through the House. I think uh, it uh, uh, passed out of committee nine to one. It'll get off the floor. Um, I think it'll pass the Senate if it gets to the floor of the Senate. Um, um, so we'll see what happens. Uh, and this was a committee sub. So this was a, I misspoke. This was a Senate bill, not a House bill, because it was a committee sub, and the House is hearing Senate bills this week. But um, it would have to go back and pass off the floor of the Senate because it, there was a substitute. And uh, the floor leader in the Senate is Senator Kim David, who is very much a fan of, of third party. Managed care. Yes. Third, third party managed care. So, you know, I don't know. Uh, this this may come down to uh, some leadership discussions on the Senate side, and then, and then of course, if it passes, the governor is going to veto it, um, and then that would set a showdown between the legislature and the, set up a showdown between the legislature and the governor. Yeah, that's. Uh, we'll see what happens. The last month of session is always a little bit wild, uh, and listeners, you may hear in the background that familiar sound of my neighbor using his leaf blower. He started later today. He just started at four twenty there while Scott was uh, talking, and so. Will, what's that? Was that a coincidence? I don't think so. I oh. That's by my clock. He had to put gas in it. <laughs> it's, it's been a few months. We haven't heard him on a, the Friday afternoon. So he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't. Uh, that means it's springtime. He doesn't, yeah. doesn't, he doesn't use a little medicine and then go use his wheat blower. It was a 420 joke. Well, hey, uh, we've got, we're about to wrap up. We've got one other, um, 
thing with the legislature that we want to talk about. But first, let's hear a word from our sponsor this week. Everybody likes a tax cut. But after the huge hit to our state's economy from COVID-19 and two winter storms, cutting taxes right now is just asking for trouble. Oklahoma has had six revenue failures in the past 10 years, and that has led to underfunded schools, closed hospitals, and crumbling roads. Call your state legislators and tell them now is not the time for political games and to vote no on House Bills 2041 and 2083. Okay, so that is a uh, audio commercial that you will also hear on the radio, I think, from uh, Taxpayers for a Better Oklahoma, which is a coalition of individuals and organizations from across the state, of which Let's Fix This is a member, um, as well as a whole bunch of other groups, um, because there are these two bills that are mentioned there and that um, that are bad news. We talked about them already. We talked about them with Paul Shin from OK Policy a few weeks ago. One of the bills, though, it seems to be dead, right? The uh, Speaker McCall's bill, actually, for the um, corporate income tax eradication, basically, that would, I think, as we described, would essentially give a tax cut mostly to companies in California and overseas, right? More so than Oklahoma-based companies. Uh, And so Senator Treat yesterday said the Senate has no appetite for this. No appetite. And so it looks like that bill is dead. Um, well, and the great thing is, is the rationale is that just a few years ago, and Senator Treat spoke so well about this in uh, his report, I believe, to the Oklahoman, that just a few years ago, he was here when the legislature reached a critical time in the budget right when when things were really really bad and the economy was in a bad place oil and gas was in a bad place um, and they had to figure out how to raise taxes right in a super majority republican legislature <laughs> and then they got to the point where they had to find money for a teacher pay raise and and you know what i'm saying so so having all of that context from their experience in the legislature he applied that to say, I, I know that, you know, this money that's coming in from the federal government is not going to last forever. And we have to think about Oklahoma's future, right? We have to think about making sure that our services are secure, that um, <laughs> we we have money in the rainy day, but right. So thinking about those obligations, the state has to take care of its people. And so that was really the heart of, of what he shared as to why the Senate doesn't have an appetite to do that. And and it's incredibly commendable. Now, there is still discussion about other tax cuts, like individual tax cuts or um, and and a couple of others that that may come up through the JCAP process, but at least to hear that the legislature is not interested in a corporate income tax and eliminating that at this time is very promising. You guys know that old song, that old song, uh, ding dong, the tax cuts dead. Well, it's a classic. <laughs> For now, because we know that things do come back. So, I mean, we have to keep the political pressure going. <laughs> it's a sad trombone, I think. It, um, the... There you go, Scott. That's for your joke. Um, I should have given you like a a, a rim shot. Here we go. Hey, oh, he's he's now leaf blowing the trampoline. The 
as we've learned this week, right, no bill is ever really dead. And so even though he has said, Senator Treat said the Senate has no appetite for that, I don't want to count my chickens before they hatch. Speaker McCall had a strongly worded response. And so we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens over the next few weeks as we get into the budget process. And listeners, I really encourage you to uh, go back a few weeks and listen to our podcast session where we had Paul Shen and we discussed uh, tax policy and particularly like the EITC around this time. So if the legislature is considering doing tax cuts, then that might be the best targeted tax relief to to provide Oklahomans. We had a really great discussion about that. So definitely take some time to to give that one a listen again. Because it's going to be very relevant in the next few weeks. That's exactly right. All right. Well, on that note, let's wrap it up for this week. Bailey and Scott, thank you for being here. Thank you, Andy. Scott's too busy dancing. Listeners, thank you for being here as well. As we said several times during the episode, decisions are made by those who show up. Please find ways to show up for your community, for your friends, for your family. Have a great weekend. Oh,